Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. It is a Tuesday and we are recording this episode on Election Day 2020, which means Otto is in the newsroom fiercely dealing with copy which means we also thought that we would populate your feeds with something a little less political. And that is a conversation with longtime Seattle supersonic star, Sam Perkins. Now Perkins and I caught up and we chatted about everything from his days playing alongside hall of famers, James Worthy and Michael Jordan to his tenure with the Lakers and supersonics and his quest for that elusive NBA title. Sam Perkins spent 17 years in the association, garnering time with four different franchises. A first-round pick by the Dallas Mavericks in the summer of 84, Perkins finished his playing career with a three-year run with the Indiana Pacers. His accomplishments also include a gold medal in the 84 Olympics. Perkins, who is now 54, spends his time working with the NBA Retired Players Association, advocating for current players. And I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Well, he spent 17 seasons in the NBA, 15 years in the playoffs, which is hard to believe. His name is Sam Perkins. Sam, how's it going? Good. Hard to believe. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just – well, 15, 15 playoff runs, that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, especially with all the turnover. Yeah, um, that was fortunate. I, I expected to be in the playoffs because, you know, it came all the time. I think I missed it maybe one time or something like that. I can't remember, but – for 15, I mean, it, it's it's a good thing, it's a good thing to say, but, um, you know, you hope that you win some championships out of that. But um, but it was a good run. Yeah. I was on good teams, good players, and uh, and it was it was hard work to, if to that get one, to the, If that one damn college teammate of yours didn't happen to have one yeah, of those dynasties Yeah, if he wasn't born that, in that era, maybe <laughs> something, but something else probably would have happened. But. It was good. What was it like playing against your college teammate, Michael, in both those finals? Well, um, I think, I mean, first of all, it was grand. I mean, to be in, a, be in, a, in the finals and uh, having your team to be the underdog, of course. But um, Michael was Michael at the time. So, and his team and Phil Jackson, um, you know, you have to give him credit. We were there for the first time only, and uh, it was like I said, I was on a powerhouse team too, Lakers, who who actually won several before I got there. But um, we had, and I'm not making excuses, but we had injuries and things of that nature, nature that kind of turned the turned the uh, tables a little bit. But um, 
we we had our chances and we just didn't make it. Let's talk about those Lakers teams because they were good. They were yeah. excellent. You'd come from playing in Dallas, you know. How how different was that playing in Dallas and then going to LA? Well, it was a step up, not to demean anything with the Mavericks, but it was just a whole culture there. I mean, they had more of a precise way of doing things. Um, you would go into the game and uh, expected to win against Sacramento's and 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 uh, the, the Clippers and things of that nature. Um, Dallas, it was almost anybody's game to the point because we were young and we didn't probably have as much as direction and more focus on um, goal-driven um, playing players, but. I think with with Magic and the culture and the and the guys that they played, they, they were so highly competitive to the point where your game had to meet meet your 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 wit, especially Magic. So, if anything less than Magic, you would have sat down on that bench or you got scolded. So, um, it was different, and I, and I had to prepare myself each time for that. And as time went on, it got even better. So, this is what I was used to. This is what I was accustomed to. Prior to uh, prior to uh, Dallas. Yeah, I, I completely understand what you're saying. How much of a culture shock was that? You know, not. And you're right. They love basketball in Dallas, but it's mm-hmm. different when you're playing for the Lakers. You know, when you think of the NBA, you think of two franchises. You think right. of the Lakers and you think of the Celtics. Right. Just how much different was that? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, when I played against Bird, um, I was a Maverick, and Bird told me. After the fact, I was um, retired. I was working with the Indiana Pacers. He told me that <coughs> every game was a warm-up to him. And he only one team he wanted to play was the, the Lakers and Magic. Because Magic was his, you know, like, uh, I, I don't know how they say uh, his opposite. Or, you know, but the thing is, is that that was his match uh, in the league at the time. So... He said Dallas was just a warm-up game. It was like practice, and he scored 50 on us. So that's that's how much practice he got in before the LA because he was playing LA on a. We played LA on a Friday, and he. I mean, we played Boston on a Friday, and LA was on a Sunday on the next schedule for them. <coughs> so with with that said, it was a whole different mindset for those two two people and two 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 teams and. Uh, we weren't, we weren't even on the map at the time. We we did some great things in Dallas, but the culture in both cities it was so high because they expected to win. You know, just like Golden State won when they won. I mean, it, the finals came down to Cleveland and Golden State. Well, it came down to Lakers and and Boston all the time. So that was the expectancy at the time, and they had great teams and great coaches. So. Like you said, the culture was different, the mindset was different, and if you weren't ready for that coming in, you would be gone, you and that was it. You know, that's that's a good relation of the way that you put it with the <coughs> Warriors because, you know, pretty much during their run, they were playing with a bullseye on their back every single night. Mm-hmm. What What is that like w- when you are that team that everybody's gunning for? Well, I tell you, when, we, when I was a Laker, we were going everywhere, and it was like a Lakers show because people came out to see that team. Doesn't that, doesn't that excite you, though, as a player? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So so with that excitement, you had to forget all that and play on that high 
you know, altitude of, of, of just trying to win. You, you had to outthink and out-savvy players that, that quick because, one, they are either going to fear you or they're going to try so hard to beat you. And, and that's, what, that's what happened. And so when we got some luck on our side, we just, in the fourth quarter, the, our, our purpose was win the first and third quarter. Because when you win the first, they got to try so hard to come back in the second. But then when the third comes, we put it on again, they might kind of like cave in. In the fourth quarter, it should be a breeze. And that's the mentality that they had. And that's, that's, how, we w- that's how we worked. I don't know if any other team looked at it like that, but Magic was always the guy who said, we got to put our foot on their throats. Before we talk about your, Seat- your Seattle days a little bit, because I know you loved playing there mm-hmm. and the run that you guys went on, what's your favorite Magic story? I- I'm sure <coughs> you get asked this all the time, but what was that like? My favorite Magic? Yeah. <laughs> well, it was probably it's, – it's not my favorite, but it's one of the plays where he – I was running so f- – you know, like I said, I had to match the wit of Magic at one time. And so when I got there – you know, you had to be thinking like him because he's sitting right next to me on, in the locker room and I'm sandwiched between him and and uh, Worthy. And he's talking to me about, yeah, Laker purple and gold, this and that. And so we went to a game. We are playing San Antonio in, in L.A. And he said, we got to get out and run the big guy tonight. So we ran David Robinson. Yeah. So I was running so hard to get to the next <laughs> – <laughs> to the next, uh, to the other side of ba- other side of the court, and I mean, he threw a perfect pocket pass to me, and I caught it. But I'm running so hard that I'm overrunning the basket, <laughs> and I look up and I'm dead even with the basket. So I, I mean, I was like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm running this fast. And he. I mean, I didn't have to move for it. Yeah. I didn't have to bend over for it. I didn't have to go reach for it. He threw it like it was in, like a Heisman, like boom. And he was so mad at me because I did not stop. And he said, just stop. You know, I was like, and I had no comeback for that because I could not stop. Even if I said I couldn't stop, that would sound so stupid on my part. Yeah. Like, I couldn't stop, you know. So I kind of had to throw it like backwards and miss it because David Robinson, like he said, run David Robinson. And Robinson was running right right on my heels. And so that was so funny to me because when I went home, I felt so bad that I, I missed one of his dimes and one of his assists because, you know, back at that time, you know, if someone touched, if he dribbled it or some, if he bounced past it, he would get a drill. He would get a. He would get a uh, assist anyway, which was the wrong way, but he would. They would count that as an assist. But um, you just that, messed up his box. I score. just messed there, up. There it was. Instead of fifteen, instead of fifteen, he had fourteen assists. <laughs> I mean, what's the difference? What, what about playing with James? You guys played college ball together. You won a championship at Carolina, and then you got to play again with the Lakers. What was that like for you? Man, that was fun. I mean, just getting there it, to to get to North Carolina is another revelation. To get there and play with Dean Smith and and Worthy as your roommate, uh, it was like man, because he was on my recruiting trip. I yeah. mean, he he showed me the way of the ro- the ways of uh, Carolina, and because I had met him prior, and then when I got there, it was probably one of my best, f- one of the best trips I've taken, 
in my college um, visits, um, including Notre Dame, I saw the Dome and Lou Holtz. I, I guess that's his name, Lou Holtz. <laughs> yeah. And Digger Phelps had the, the Golden Dome and all that stuff. So um, I didn't know nothing about Notre Dame except they, I was in, in and I was in a f- pit with the football players. I'm like, what am I doing here? You know. So, but anyway, that was my favorite um, trip because he took me around. And then when I got there. And the reason why I went there is because James was telling me about, you know, coaches. Because I told James I was fearful of, edu- you know, school failing. He said, don't worry about that. You know, you get tutors and all that. And then next thing you know, you're on your own. So when coach got, when the coach got, when I got to coach, he was telling me the same thing. Unlike everybody else. And so playing with James, room with James, you know, built some confidence because he was a year older than me. And at the same time, uh, you know, he just told me how to, how to, you know, coordinate and adjust your schedule to the point where you couldn't fail. You couldn't fail. There's no way you could fail unless you were just not going to school. What about playing with Dean Smith? It was awesome. I mean, I uh, saw him in a Pan American game and I was stretching and I made, I made the team and he, um, you know, at the time, N- NCAA was more, even more strict on rules than they are now. And you couldn't talk to players that were underclassmen, of course. So he didn't say nothing. He came into that door over there. I was sitting on the floor stretching. And he walked by me. He, instead of walking around, he walked right straight through the stretching to the other end. But his reasoning for doing that was to let me know who he was. Because I asked, I said, who's that guy? And they said, that's Dean Smith. I said, whoa, really? And so with that young, with that young mentality, I couldn't believe that was him. But he, he kind of knew what he was doing. So, but he didn't break any rules. He just walked past me and said, hey, young fella, and like that, and just went on about his business. So that was the start of knowing who he was. And then when I actually met him, it was a totally complete thing. He was sincere. He was a mentor. We go into his office and he talk. He treat the fifteenth guy like the first guy, and uh, he gave us a lot of you know leeway and latitude. But at the same time, he made sure that we were on the right path and to get our education, to get involved with social awareness about about yourself, get to know people on on the school grounds, campus, all that diversity stuff to the point where you have now you can make choices on your own instead of trying to follow somebody and have somebody dictate what you do. I was going to say, because I've followed college basketball for a long time, and you hear about the Carolina way and, and what it means. Was that really kind of the start of that with that 82 team a little bit? Yeah, he probably had it. I can't say that it was the start, but that was the way because it couldn't have been the start because players came back when players came back on their own in the summertime to play against the current team. And they still do that all the way down since I can remember. So – when I was playing, and there's a freshman or sophomore, Walter Davis was back, um, uh, Michael Corrin, um, Kupchak, um, these guys, uh, Dudley Bradley, these guys would come back and play against us, give us time. And, but they also came back to see Dean Smith, and that's how much respect and appreciation they have for him to the point where we – I mean, that's how – and we followed that culture. And the, so when I finished, I came back and Worthy came back, so on and so on, J- Jerry Stackhouse, 
Sean May, who's there now. I mean, we all came back and did did that because of Coach Smith. Is it crazy to think how much talent was on that team? I, I mean, you look at you, Worthy, MJ, Doherty was on that team. We 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 didn't think like that, but but, but just in perspective now. Yeah, in perspective now. Yeah, I mean, we were like so. Everybody really thinks that Carolina team was like <laughs> the, the awesome team. I mean. You go overseas. But at that point, you guys were just a bunch of kids having fun, yeah, right? Yeah, and, and that's all it was. I mean, we Coach Smith told us we, we didn't have we, – we had stat sheets, but he told us not to look at them because he don't want a stat sheet to define your game because the, the stat sheet was, will not lie. It will tell you how many points you had, how many times you shot, how many you missed, turnovers, assists, fouls, so on and so on. He didn't want us to do that because we were we didn't want to get into get into a box to where numbers would only matter. He if you if you scored 26 and, and you scored 25 the next night, he always said, "Remember how you got him. Thank your teammate when you go on an interview." So, so I went for, I, and he stopped me because I was freshman in the ACC. Something he says, "Don't forget your teammates." And that was that's how it was. You never talked about yourself, and, and even if they did talk about your 26 points, you you say, well, it couldn't have happened without you know Jimmy Black giving out the assists or Worthy doing this so and so. So that's how it was. That's the, how the culture was, and we all respected that. And no one really cared if you scored 20 or you scored eight. We were just winning because, like you said, it was a bullseye every night on our backs. And when people w beat us, they bum rushed the floor as they won the championship. But if we beat them, it would just be another another game. We talked about those great Lakers teams you were on, that Carolina team. That 95-96 Seattle team, though, was special. And it almost felt like you guys got robbed. What was it, <laughs> what was it like playing robbed. on that team? You know, because uh, Seattle at that time, I think a lot of people thought it was a sleepy city and just kind of in the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, it didn't get the coverage that it did before they lost the team. But... What was that like? Well, the city itself was, was special um, because uh, they loved basketball there. I mean, that place was rocking. And once they knew they had a team, it was a disappointment. And not just a team, a, a great a, team. Great team. And, but we got to go back one year to the point where we lost the Denver Nuggets. And that, that really hurt us. But that helped us a lot for the next year because it made us even more uh, – minded mindful that um anything can happen and we were much sharper we were much more efficient and we won so many I, I can't remember how many games we won but we were more efficient and we were had an attitude we were starting to get that attitude like the great teams would, would get you know we had Detlef Shrimp we've had Sean we had Gary Hort, Hurt, Hershey Hawkins um uh Vincent Askew we had a slew of players that had a makeup for that for that that Western Conference. Uh, we went through, man, Houston, and we went through uh, Utah, Portland, and it was a great Western Conference. The Lakers were not so; they were down a little bit at that time. But the point is, is that Seattle was up and coming, and Coach Carl had us playing on a on a high level, intensity level. And then when we went to the championship, you know, it could have went either. I mean. Conference finals or uh, conference finals, it could have went either way. With uh, I want to say it was uh, Utah, yeah. But um, it could have went either way with Stockton and, and Malone. But um, 
it, it was it was so much fun in that city because the city made it fun. I got acclimated. Uh, I stayed there about six years, and we weren't we weren't even trying to go nowhere, but we were unselfish and uh, we were ready to play. You know, we talked about Dean Smith, but you mentioned George Carl. Now I gotta ask you about George Carl. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was that like? Do you have any good stories with him? Man, Carl was well. He <laughs> well, this is not. It has nothing to do with the <laughs> store, uh, basketball. That's fine. But so he forgot his clothes, and um, I mean, he, usually he has his. Uh, you know, coaches bring their clothes with them, and we went to Milwaukee. And so my locker is like the first one as you enter in. So he comes out, comes out with my sweater on, my mock neck <laughs> that he stretched to, to oblivious. First off, how upset were you about that? I did not know. <laughs> first of all, I kept looking at him like, he don't wear the mock necks. So I ain't paying no mind. We, I don't even know if we won the game. But the point when we got back to the locker room, he takes the the damn thing off, and he says, Perk, this is yours. He took somebody else's belt and said, this is yours. <laughs> he had somebody's jacket and said, I, don't, I can't even remember. But I, all I remember is my stretch mock, my neck, my, my half-neck turtleneck was stretched to oblivion because his big head went all through it, and then his neck was bigger than mine. And I was like, no, you didn't. <laughs> and you know how you know how coaches sweat profusely this thing was oh, yeah. ringing I could not wear it did you ever wear it again no did it go right in the trash dog I, <laughs> I, I don't even know what happened to it I mean I, I started to save it as a like like one of those uh, you know keep saver uh, because of, and, and, and maybe rattle I mean I mean uh, raffle it off <laughs> Or put it in something like, you know, in a museum. But I couldn't even do nothing with that. Nobody see, nobody would want see, that. See, it would have been more impressive had you just wore the sweater again. Just Duh. threw it right back at him. No, I could not wear that <laughs> sweater. That, that sweater was, that thing was like, lost its, it's lost its girth and, I mean, everything. I mean, it didn't have any, mo it didn't have any form to it no more. I was so, oh, man, I, I. And, that, and it was expensive. It wasn't that expensive, but it was a big man, big and tall. Did you make him buy you a new one? No, I didn't. Aww. I mean, come on, man. It's just, uh, but that 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 time he said he forgot his. You know, he was he was being tailored by some outfit and some somebody company, but he forgot forgot everything at the room. So, <laughs> but he had pieces of everybody's clothing on belt you just happen to have your sweater the i most don't know about the thing. pants i think he had his pants you know he kept he, his pants that, that's that's probably good that he didn't yeah. borrow someone else's pants because it was they couldn't fit yeah, <laughs> no. he would have got fined anyway if he came out there with sweats on i believe but that was the craziest story but other than that coaching wise he was he was a great coach he coached differently he coaches he probably would fit the mold today of coaches opening opening everything up because we didn't play with a big man either, similar to what they do today now. All of a sudden, all of a sudden overnight, they just want to shoot threes and uh, no mid-ranges. Does, does it surprise you it took the league that long to kind of figure that out? Um, yeah, because, well, the league was going through some changes because everybody was copying. First of all, everybody went from 
from what, how we used to play to Oklahoma City. They wanted a three-headed monster. Then all of a sudden, we get to Curry and them. Everybody likes the way they were shooting. And all of a sudden, they went in two or three championships in a row. So all of a sudden now, everybody was doing their style. And then all of a sudden, it blossomed out to the point where we are now, where they figure analytics in this, all this stuff. Ten threes are better than 15 twos or something like that. So, I mean, it, it took us some time. But time changed, you know, and the game changed itself. But you, you still got to put points up. Do you enjoy the new style of play, or, or, um, or do you kind of miss it? I enjoy teams that can adapt to it, that play well, like Golden State. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not going to say anything negative, but it's just that it's a little different yeah. for me because used to seeing guys and knowing guys that they can, who can play and, and, and always watch, watch players that do their thing. But now everybody's doing the three and shooting threes, and people who can't shoot the three are actually shooting threes. So that kind of turns you off. So I may watch a half a game, but I always watch um, the guys I know, like the Currys and Golden State. Uh, I even watch San Antonio because I like the Rosen. I like Toronto. And um, so I like teams like that, even Kawhi. I just like to see him play and stuff like that. Absolutely. Sam, thank you so much for taking the hey, time and joining us. This no was problem. fantastic. I have many stories, but <laughs> some of them are rated, you know, and stuff. others are PG and stuff like that. So. Absolutely. Thank you, my All man. right. No problem. Always fun to catch up with Sam Perkins. And if you guys caught the little bit in that story where he talked about George Carl snaking a sweater from him, we also have George talking about that instance. It is a true story. <laughs> there were days in my life, I think when I must have took a sweater that had a hole in it or something like that. And I walked around the locker room finding, trying to find something I could put on. And it was Sam. In what? fact, I think Sam gave it to me. He didn't take it, he didn't take it back. <laughs> well, he said you stretched the hell out of it. And then he said, um, he said you wore a teammate's belt and another guy's coat. I, I love that. You just you borrowed an outfit. Yeah, I did. I did that on one game. And I remember one game in Denver, I uh, wore an Iverson jersey to the game because I forgot, cause I forgot something else. I wore a jersey that fined like $10,000. <laughs> so, you know. Oh, that's great. Try to make Try to connect with players in any way possible. Okay, it is now my pleasure to welcome in the one and only. His name is Bruce Bernstein. And Bruce, we brought you on because you, unlike anyone else on our platform, know George Carl. Um, tell us a little bit about that relationship you have with him. George and I go back, oh, I don't know, more than 10 years. He worked uh, with us at ESPN. He was one of our analysts. And just a guy that I feel a, a lot of people who like watched him coach, you know, he wrote a book called Furious George. Okay. But George is one of the very real guys that you'll ever meet in your life. He's not at all as that furious kind of persona that a lot of people think. He's a very grounded, very caring individual and just a really good person, a disciple of Dean Smith um, and uh, just a, a super good human being and you know has uh had you know he belongs in the hall of fame i mean he's number six on the all-time coaching victory list and the five guys in front of him are all in springfield and he belongs there too yeah absolutely do you have any fun stories with george that you could share 
Oh, come on! A you few, got something. A few, you know you a got few. something for us. One of the one of the greatest things we ever did back in our ESPN days on NBA Tonight, we did an April Fool's gig one year, where uh, we did we wanted to do like George Carl's favorite rappers. Okay. Now, George isn't really a hip hop guy, although, you know, he has told me that he considers it to be poetry and art. So he appreciate it, appreciates it, but he doesn't really know hip hop that well. But for the April Fool's gig, we, we had him put on sunglasses and we had him count down his three favorite rappers. And I think he had Biggie, I think he had Tupac. And then for his number one rapper, he had Gucci Mane. And this is back in 2014, right? On April Fool's Day. And Twitter just went nuts. I mean, people thought it was serious and it was just hilarious. It was so funny. And, and he sold it so well too. An assist there goes to uh, one of our former associate producers on the show, Sid Sinna, who's now a uh, lawyer. Uh, but Sid kind of wrote the script for George, but George just delivered it so well and just killed it. It was hilarious. And then, you know, some of the guys that I used to work with when they were asked to be in Bristol for Thanksgiving, you know, they had to do the shows. They would come to my house for Thanksgiving. And one year, George was uh, our, get, our guest for Thanksgiving, along with Amin Hassan. That was a fun Thanksgiving. And um, he told me, he's there, you know, I really appreciated the turkey dinner, but you made me come to Hartford for it. So I'm like, I said, hey, well, you know, sorry. Here's, here's my question. Did George Carl bring a dish? He didn't bring a dish, but just bringing himself was a lot of fun because, you know, my cousins and, you know, kids and whatever. I mean, we have a pretty big crowd at Thanksgiving. We probably had around 20 people. And he just was like, you know, he everybody loved him. And, and Amin also. I mean, they just had a blast. And uh, no, he didn't bring a dish. But uh, I asked him before he came, I said, is there a particular beverage that you prefer? And he's there. As long as you got Coors Light, I'm good. Which normally Coors Light is not in our house, but picked up a six for was- George. He didn't drink all six, but he enjoyed his Coors Light. Awesome. Awesome. And a timely story as we head into the month of November. Bruce. Oh, you know, yeah, and (laughs) absolutely. And I, and I should say that George um, makes an appearance this week on Mike, the Mike Wise show. And George is very, very opinionated politically. He talked a lot about, you know, the election, which, you know, is taking place today, but we taped the show towards the end of last week. Um, And uh, he's very, very concerned about uh, our societal issues wants to see us be more inclusive. I mean, he is just a got a very liberal, open, inclusive mindset. And a lot of people would look at him and say, gee, that doesn't, that's not what I think. It's like, well, if you listen to he and Mike, you will find out that George Carl is a whole lot different uh, than you probably thought. And, and that's a good point because I think Mike's show does about as good of a job as any podcast or radio show out there blurring the lines between culture and sports. And it's important that you have those conversations and you're able to convey them in a safe platform. And so if you guys have not listened to that episode, we encourage you guys to do it. That dropped on Monday. Bruce, it is always great talking to you. It's always great seeing you on these Zoom calls when we tape them. You got any closing words for us? Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Second of all, thank you to the great Scott Turkin for allowing me to participate. And also to our pal, Otto Strong. Good luck there, brother. You're going to be in for a long night. 
Absolutely. He's doing God's work out there in Fort Worth. Bruce, we appreciate you coming on this week and a special thanks to our editor, Tom Phillip. And if you guys have not seen what's happening this week on Pure Hoops Media, here's what's coming up. Monday, Bruce already touched on it, but George Carl drops by the Mike Weiss show. That is a fantastic listen. Tuesday is the Full Court Press with John Fanta and Jenny Fisher. It's Jenny's first episode, so make sure you catch that out. Wednesday is where you get all your NBA news and nuggets with Otto and I. Of course, it is hot stove season, so we'll be talking about trades, the upcoming NBA draft, and free agency. Thursday is Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. John Fanta will join the crew over there to preview the men's and women's hoop season, which will commence this month. And we'll wrap things up on Friday with the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Guys, we know it is an eventful and wild times, and we appreciate all of you guys for sticking with us throughout the course of not only the NBA season, but the college hoops season. We will continue to bring you content each and every week, but we do ask if you guys enjoy our shows, if you enjoy listening to them, all that we ask is that you rate and subscribe and share with all your friends. But until next week, see you guys later. Captain Shoots 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.